we're in the middle of a series called Awesome. And we've been talking about how to have awesome relationships uh, and how to have awesome friendships, how to have awesome marriages, how to have an awesome relationship with God. And uh, we started talking last week about awesome families. God cares about your family. And we started last week, we kind of looked at that there's lots of different types of families. I mean, I know we're living at a time in history in America. You've got millions of kids that are in foster care, millions that are in uh, 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 adoptive homes. You have uh, one in ten children is being raised by their grandparents right now. So you have a lot of grandparents that are raising them. You have uh, uh, 12 million, I think, single mothers. So you have millions of single moms, you have millions of single dads, you have millions of foster kids and adoptive families, traditional families. So there's a lot of different families uh, in America. There's a lot of different types of families in our church. And uh, we saw last week that no matter what type of family you have, God, God wants you to have an awesome family. Amen. God wants you to have an awesome family. No matter what kind of family you have, God, uh, he will teach you or show you how to have an awesome family. Last week, we saw the first trait of an awesome family is awesome families have fun. I mean, I like to have fun. Every person uh, you grew up watching the Huxtables or somebody like that, and you kind of liked their family and it wasn't because they were boring or that they were a drag, you liked those families because they had a good time. If you grew up in the neighborhood like I did, there were certain, there were certain houses you liked to go to. They had the good Twinkies. The good ding-dongs. The ones that in the aluminum foil. The real ones. Hostess, not Little Debbie. God bless Little Debbie. But the best ding-dongs came in the aluminum foil. Yes, and the best parents didn't care how many you ate. You could eat them all. And they would buy more. And they had a pool with a waterfall. It was awesome. Right? So we all grew up with certain families. And families that we liked were families that, that you said, man, that family has a good time. The greatest witness your family can have to other Christians is that you enjoy your family. And you enjoy Christianity. And you enjoy Jesus. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. So let your light shine. So for you and us, we should have joyous, happy families. Are there mortgages to pay? Yes. Is there shift work to do? Of course. But you can still, it's important for us to have fun, enjoy our families. I want to give you this morning the second trait of a great family. And uh, if you've got your worship guide, it's a great families, they grow. Great, awesome families are families that grow. Now, I don't mean numerically. Right? You don't have to be the Duggars. To have a great family. 19 kids and counting. It's not necessary. I'm not talking about. You know, I'm not talking about growing numerically. Or growing in this area. We're growing alright. I got every year we get bigger and bigger. No I'm not talking about. Uh, that. I'm talking about Jesus grew. In four different types of areas. Jesus grew in four areas. And every person in here should be growing in these four areas. What are you doing? What are you doing? 
Okay, okay. Just making sure. I don't know if you needed your mom or something. Jesus grew in four distinct areas. And awesome families grow in these four areas. Our church is a church family. How I many y'all know we're a church family? Our church family needs to be growing in these four areas. I'm always monitoring our growth in these four areas. And a lot of people, they'll grow really good in one area, but then the other three areas, not so much. Or they may grow in two areas, but then the other two, they're not so much. Maybe three out of four. But here we have a verse that tells us Jesus grew in four distinct areas. And for you as an individual, if you're here, you say, well, I don't have any kids. You know, I'm single. I'm a grandparent. Well, you should be growing in these four areas. Your family should be growing in these four, these four areas. Our church family should be growing in these four areas. And the Bible says that in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, in favor with man. You could say it like this. Jesus grew uh, mentally. He grew physically, he grew spiritually, and he grew socially. Four different areas Jesus grew in. He grew mentally. In his knowledge, his, in his understanding, he grew. He grew physically in his stature, in his discipline. He grew in stature. He grew in his relationship with God. Spiritually, he was always on the move. And it was always up. And he grew socially. The way he interacted with people, he developed and he grew. And he was always moving forward, even if it wasn't uh, socially the normal. He was a willing to swim up current. In some of these areas, all of these areas, but he was always growing in these four areas. So I want to look at these four areas, uh, but, but I want to start and I want to tell you that your family doesn't have to be ideal for it to be awesome. Or in other words, Jesus was not raised in an ideal family. How many of y'all remember the story of Christmas? What's Jesus? Let's take it back to Christmas. What's Jesus' mama's name? Mary, 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 quite contrary, yes, Mary, how many of y'all, Mary, how many of y'all know that Mary was not a professional mother, right, Mary's a 16 year old kid, never been with a man before, never been married, never had children, very unexperienced as a parent, like her experience as a parent is zero, and yet God chose for his son to be raised by a person with zero experience. She wasn't qualified. Listen, if I was God, I would not have chosen a 16 or 17 year old girl to raise God. Right? I mean, I'm going to be looking for a Mr. Rogers type or a Mrs. Doubtfire type or like a, like a British super nanny or somebody that's proficient in raising children. Have you ever seen the super nanny? Anybody remember that show? I did not like it. Marlisa, I think I watched it twice because I wanted to jump through the screen and grab the parents and shake their little faces. Shake their little faces. 
Because, and some of you are not familiar with Super Nanny. I won't take a lot of time uh, getting into Super Nanny. But Super Nanny, the premise was, was that you had these kids that were out of control. And the reason they were out of control is because the parents had no control. So uh, the one that I remember watching, and I think it's the, the first and maybe the last time I ever watched it. There was a four-year-old that didn't want to go to sleep. And the mom's like, you've got to go to sleep. And the four-year-old's having a temper tantrum saying, no, no, no. And the mom's like, you have to go to sleep. No. And the four-year-old slapped the mother in the face. And then the mother goes, did you slap me? Don't slap me. And she slapped her again. And then she says, I told you not to slap me. And the, the, the four-year-old slapped the mother again. And the mother left crying. I thought after the first slap, they were going to have to cut to those little bars on the screen. And it was going to go, because you were going to witness a murder. Because in my world, the world I grew up in, my daddy's name was Kip. And Kip could have cured. There, you wouldn't need to call Super Nanny for a week. Just call Kip for about 10 minutes. And that four-year-old would toe the line. How many of y'all know what toe the line means? Oh, man. So after the first slip, I thought, this little girl's about to get killed on TV. Oh, no. The mother left crying. And the mother says, and then Super Nanny's watching all of this. And Super Nanny's like, I cannot believe I'm witnessing this. So Super Nanny, she comes in and, and she teaches the parents how to discipline and how to, how to control your kids and how to set boundaries. And by the end of it, usually the kids are a whole lot better. But how many of y'all know Jesus was not raised by a Super Nanny? He just wasn't. Jesus wasn't raised in an ideal type of environment. Joseph was a regular guy. He's a carpenter. Right? How many of y'all remember about Joseph? Just a regular guy. This is not some super, super dad that he opens up his robe and there's a big S. No, Joseph's a regular, regular guy. And he had trouble even from the beginning. Why? Because Mary says, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. How many of y'all remember that story? You want the good news or the bad news? Give me the bad. I'm pregnant. Joseph. I cannot believe this woman here. What's the good news? It's with God. Right? He says, man, my, my woman, she's lost her mind. She's pregnant with, with God. She's having God. And it's in this family that God chooses for Jesus to be born. What's the point? Jesus didn't have an ideal family, but God had faith in Mary and Joseph to raise him the right way. And whatever type of family you've got or you're raising, God has faith in you as a single parent. He has faith in you as a grandparent. He has faith in you as an adoptive parent, as a foster parent. God has faith in you. If he had faith in them, he totally has faith in you to, 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 to raise his kids right. And in that environment, they were able to train Jesus in such a way that he grew in these four areas. The first one was his knowledge or he grew. He, he grew mentally. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and wisdom just means applied knowledge. 
That's all wisdom means. We know if you look at the verse that I gave you there. It says Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up as his custom was. And every day Jesus went to the temple. The Bible says Jesus went to the temple daily as his custom was. And he would show up at the temple and he would go over the scriptures. He would read the scriptures. You're talking about as a young boy. Mary and Joseph may have not been ideal, but they at least established something in that young man that every day he's in the temple and he's going over the scriptures. He's increasing in his knowledge, in his understanding of the word of God for the next uh, 33 years while he was on this planet he was constantly quoting Isaiah he's quoting Jeremiah he's quoting Psalms he's quoting Proverbs where did he learn all of those scriptures well as a young man he grew in wisdom he grew in knowledge he grew in understanding and if you're going to have an awesome great family your family needs to be growing in the understanding of the word of God your family, you need to be teaching your, your children as a church family. Uh, that's why I'm not here to just entertain you. I love all of you here. But my assignment is for you to grow in your wisdom and in your understanding of the will of God for your life. And the word of God, the foundation for you to build your life on. That's my job is I need uh, or we need to be growing in this wisdom or this understanding. Now, having said that, I want to read something to you. And if you've got your worship guide, some of it's in there. How many of y'all with me? Come on, I know you can just, just hang in there. I want to read this to you. How many of y'all know George Gallup? How many of y'all ever heard of the Gallup polls? They do statistics. George Gallup, Jim Casilla, they put, they put out these uh, these polls, and they're quoting, I'm reading them, it says, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. Boom, goes the dynamite. Americans revere the Word of God, but by and large, most of them don't read it. We have a nation that's God-fearing, they're just God-ignorant. And we're worried about the homosexuals coming in where we might want to be worrying about our ignorance of the word of God. Because they don't read it, they've become a nation that is biblically illiterate. How bad is it? Researchers tell us that it's the worst than most people could imagine. Fewer than half of all adults can name the four gospels. In other words, if there's 100 people in here, fewer than 50 could say, what are the four Gospels? Fewer than half don't know what the four Gospels are. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just so you know. That's the four Gospels. Red letters. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Most Christians cannot identify more than two or three disciples. There was 12. I can see the wheels rolling in your head. You're like, you're like how, how good am I doing? How good am I? Whatever is Peter. Whatever is Peter. Judas. There was Judas. He was the bad one. One more, one more, one more, one more. I've got to beat those Americans. Two out of three. Can't name. Uh, they can only name a couple of the disciples. According to data from Barna, 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. 
No wonder people break the Ten Commandments all the time. They don't know what they are. What's the bottom line? Increasingly, America is biblically illiterate. Multiple surveys reveal that the problem is in stark terms. 82% of Americans believe that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is a Bible verse. Those identified as born-again Christians only did better by 1%. But we're God-fearing. A majority of adults think the Bible teaches that the most important purpose in life is to take care of one's family. A Barna poll indicated that 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. True! Just kidding. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Another survey, get this one, of graduating high school seniors reveals that 50 over 50% believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. 50% of high school seniors believe that Sodom and Gomorrah are actually husband and wife. And now we're wondering about the troubles that we're having in the Supreme Court. And we're blaming them when in reality we really should probably be pointing the finger at ourselves. It's just a fact, just... We're in big trouble and this is really our problem. It's up to this generation of Christians to reverse course. Recovery starts at home. Parents are to be the first and most important educators of their own children. Diligently teaching them the word of God. See Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Parents cannot franchise their responsibility to the congregation. No matter how faithful and biblical it may be. God assigned parents... This non-negotiable responsibility. And children must see their Christian parents as teachers. And fellow students of the word of God. Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Because he had great parents. All throughout the Old Testament we're commanded. You need to be, you need to be growing in your knowledge and understanding of the word of God. How can a generation be biblically shaped in its understanding of human sexuality when it believes Sodom and Gomorrah are a married couple? No wonder Christians show a growing tendency to compromise on these issues. I wasn't quite sure if the Lord would let me read this with everything that's going on uh, in uh, uh, just what's been happening in the past week with the Supreme Court. And uh, I'll just tell you that, that I don't, I think it's a step backward. I don't think it's good. But uh, I, I will say this uh, really, homosexualities make up 3% of the population of America. Christians make up, you know, what, 50%, 60%. And yet, uh, if we would do our part, I don't think we would have a problem with the three. The way the Lord gave it to me real quick, you know, and I actually wrote it down on an envelope because I just asked the Lord. I said, man, look, look what's going on with the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, he says most of the church is worrying about gays coming in rather than worrying about Christians going out. The great sin of the garden was not homosexuality. It was disobedience. We need to be on the offense and not defense. We're always playing defense. Got to keep them out. They're going to make us marry two dudes. Right? They're going to make us do this. Listen, listen, listen. Flies don't land on hot stoves. If the church will be white hot and fervent in passion 
with Jesus and his lordship and will teach kids other things besides Pokemon and modern Warcraft. If we'll be about our business, you won't have to worry about 3% coming in because we'll flood the marketplace with white hot blind eyes being opened, lame people walking and there'll be, it won't be an issue. Jesus didn't say to stay home and protect. He said to go out and make. Jesus said go out and make disciples. He didn't say stay in the church and defend your ground. And a lot of times in these issues, the devil puts us on defense. We're so worried about uh, what's coming in that we forget the great commission of Jesus was go into all the world and make disciples, lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll take up deadly serpents and scorpions. And if they, if they drink any deadly thing, nothing by any means shall hurt them. The great commission was for us to just get busy. Jesus grew in his understanding. And for us, as, as parents, and as church leaders, and as Christians, we need to get really busy helping people grow in their understanding and their knowledge of the Word of God. I like good, entertaining churches with great music and fancy lights. We're building one. But we won't get away from these things that Jesus grew in. Because without them, then we're going to be part of the 50% that can't even quote any of the, the, the Ten Commandments. Oh, I'm, I'm not even going to make it to all of them. But I, I'm going to stay here just for a second. Because I read Second Kings chapter 22 this week. And that's the story of Josiah. Josiah is an eight-year-old boy. He's eight years old. He was raised by a wicked man until he was murdered. You talk about a weird family here. Josiah's daddy was crazy. So they murdered him. So now at eight years old, he's raised by five different individuals. But one of them was Jeremiah. And one of them was Hilda, which was a, a lady prophet. For those of you that don't think women should say anything in the church. There's six women in the Old Testament, and this is one of them. She's a prophet anointed by God to speak on behalf of God. And she takes this eight-year-old boy and pours into him until once he turns 16, he realizes our whole nation is not serving God. Actually, the temple had been torn down. There was no service, no, uh, no, no Christianity. There was no churches anywhere. And it was so bad. The Bible says that they actually lost the scriptures. The Bible was nowhere to be found. Well, this 16-year-old kid starts learning about, well, God made us walk through on dry ground. He rained down manna from heaven. He was a cloud by day and a fire by night. He starts realizing, he's like, where is this God that I hear of? So he says, find me the scriptures. So they have to go and they couldn't find the Bible. They couldn't find the scriptures. So finally, after two years, he finds the scriptures and he starts to put his nation back together and turn it around and make it a nation that served God again. The point is you're talking about Israel, Jewish people, the ones that walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, the ones that made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. This is God's people. And yet that nation got to a point that the church doors were closed and a Bible was nowhere to be found. How many of y'all know our nation was built on the word of God. 
And yet we're at a point now where 50% don't know what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is. Could it be that we're one generation away or two generations away from the gospel being closed so much that we don't even, it's not in the marketplace. How many of y'all know it's out of the school? It's out of the judicial system. It's out, it's out, it's out, it's out, it's out. And if we just keep our pretty little mouth shut, even with our hands up at the Hillsong Conference, Worshiping the Lord, if we don't get busy, we're one or two generations away for, from your eight-year-old saying, where is this God that this nation was built upon? His name used to be on the dollar bill, but it's not there. How do we fix it? We fix it just by growing in these four areas. My kids, I was laying in Noble's bunk last night. And I'm laying there and I look up and Noble's got 20 scriptures that he looks at before he goes to bed. And, I, and he says them out loud. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me and gave himself for me. He's got these 20 scriptures that he speaks, that, that he speaks over his life. And then there, there, we have 21 that while we're driving to school, I say, Noble, what's number seven? Noble, what's number one? You know, God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power of love, a sound mind. Where is it found? First, uh, First Timothy 1, 7. And he's got all time. I said, what's number 15? Selfish, not proud. It's not be my God, but I'll be humble and excellent. Give more honor to people than I give to myself. That, 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 that my little seven-year-old, and trust me, I'm not, I'm not boasting on my little seven-year-old. They got plenty of problems. And I'm certainly not boasting on my ability as a parent. I boast in Jesus alone. But I understand that if I don't want my kids to be part of the percentage that's biblically ignorant, and if I want them to grow as Jesus grew, that I have to bear the burden of them growing intellectually they have to know the scriptures so we just we try to make it fun and we have fun we're not we're not uh we're not i don't browbeat them and like no no we have a great time right we have fun me and about playing wiffle ball hitting the ball over the house so we have a good time and yet i want i want them and i want you i want us as a church family to hold the word of god in high esteem in your family, in our family, and in the people that we're raising. The second way that great families grow is they grow physically. Jesus grew physically. You could say he grew in discipline. He grew in stature. But as Jesus grew, and as you watch your own kids grow, and as you watch yourself grow, you should grow spiritually. It should mirror how you grow physically. So I grew two inches this year. Well, you should have grown spiritually two inches this year. Your, your physical growth should mirror your, mirror your spiritual growth and your intellectual growth. You should know more about the Word of God this year than you knew last year. Your kids should know more about it this year than they knew last year. We as a church should be stronger in our stature this year than we were last year. We're not moved as easy. Right? We're, we're just we're stronger physically as a church. We're stronger financially. We're stronger mentally. We've endured some storms and we ain't going nowhere. It won't quit raining, but we'll keep pumping. We keep having to pump out our little land so that we can build a building. Well, we'll keep putting gas in it. We'll keep pumping and we will build it. We're stronger. He grew in his stature, the third way that he grew is he grew spiritually. You always see Jesus. You always see Jesus. Jesus would go off to the mountain and he would spend time with God. 
He would go to the Mount of Olives. He would spend time with God. He would go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he would spend time with God. He was always uh, developing his relationship with God. And he was the one that brought us father, right? And I've talked to you about this a lot. That he didn't refer to God as God or Jah or Jehovah. He referred to God as father. But even it was more than that because none of us really say father, right? Don't nobody in here call your dad father. I doubt, I don't think. Hello, father. Cheerio. And unless you're in Britain, what do we call our, our dad? Dad, right? Daddy, dad, pops. Oh, man, that just makes him mad. So if you really, the more accurate way, would Jesus would say, our father, he'd say, our daddy who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In my daddy's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to my daddy's house to prepare a place for you, and I will receive you to myself. Daddy, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus grew in his relationship with God. If you want to be a great family, you need to teach your family to have a dependence upon God. My kids know I'm not the source. I will whip your butt. And I'll buy you ice cream. But ultimately, the source is God. Have faith in him. Have trust in him. Love him. God is your source. Develop your relationship with him because I'm not always going to be here grow physically the last one Jesus grew in is Jesus grew in his social skills or you could say socially Jesus grew or he dealt with people you could say it like this Jesus had a good worldview if you want to have a great family you need to teach your kids a worldview if we want to have a great church a great church family. We need to have a world view. We need to think outside of the walls of our church. That's why we support missions all over the globe. And we send in some girl to, to, to Bible college. is so that there's a world view. That's why you know I bring my kids. That, that if we're going to feed at the homeless shelter. Or if we're going to buy somebody this. Or if we're going to bring somebody some sack food. Or if we're going to pay for somebody's lunch or whatever. I make sure my kids are in on it. I give my kids money to give to other people. Go give that person some money. Why? I want it. Get your butt over there and get that money to that people. I want some fireworks. Get your butt over there. Why? I'm wanting them to have a heart outside of just themselves. I'll read this last scripture to you and then we have to go. Matthew chapter 25 verse 35. It says, for I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Whenever I was a stranger, you took me in. Other translations say, whenever I was naked, you clothed me. In other words, Jesus was always teaching socially, getting outside of just your own world, your own four corners, and reaching other people. Two things I always talk to my kids about, and that's we do serve. We're not here just to see what we can get. We're here to see what we can give. Second thing is I don't want to tolerate them picking on people. And then the last one is we don't judge people. Jesus said, judge not, you will not be judged. Don't worry about the speck in another man's eye when you have a beam coming out of your own eye. Jesus said, don't judge another man's servants. Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus grew socially his dealings with people. Listen, uh, 
I've got to wrap it up. Great families have fun. They enjoy life, but also great families, they grow together. As a family, we're growing. We're growing spiritually. We're growing physically. We're growing socially. Uh, we're, we're growing uh, uh, with our relationship with each other, our relationship with God. And uh, it's fun when your family grows. Can I just end with that? I'll tell you, it's fun when you see people in your church family grow spiritually. You can tell they've gone up a notch. They've gone up two notches. It's a joy for me as a pastor to look at many of you and know they came a year ago. Baby, they have really gone up some rungs on their ladder of understanding the will of God for their life. Understanding the word of God, the plan of God. They've moved into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And they've gotten out of the side of themselves and they're very generous. It's good to see that in your church family, but also in your natural family with your kids. Man, it's a blessing to see these things. And that's what makes you at the end of your life when your kids move out. Woohoo! Yes. You send them off to college and you know that they've grown in all of these and not just one area, but they've grown in these areas and, and you've raised the Josiah. You've taken an eight-year-old to an 18-year-old that's ready to change and affect the whole nation. Man, it's a good thing. Praise God. Let's pray together this morning. Thank you, Father God, that we're part of the greatest family. The greatest family in a, any of us could ever be a part of is through the blood of Jesus. We take up the mantle of growth. That Jesus, you grew in these four areas. And you did it as a witness or as an example for us to grow. We purpose in our heart to grow spiritually and physically and mentally and socially. That, that we don't want to stay the same. That as our body grows, so our spirit and our knowledge of you grows. Our willingness to reach others. Pray that you sear these things into every person here. Every young person. Even the 8 year olds and the 12 year olds and the 19 year olds. They purpose in their heart to be people that grow. Thank you Lord for it. If you're here you need to be saved. You need to be born again. Don't want to close without giving you an opportunity. Maybe you're a visitor. You've never been here before. Uh, I want to make sure that every person in here has made Jesus the Lord of their life. Greatest family that there ever was is the Father. The Father God. He sent Jesus to die for each one of us so that we can have eternal life. If you're here, you need to be born again. You need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I'd like to pray with you, pray for you. Ask you to raise your hand. Is there anybody like that this morning? I don't want to rush through it. If, there, if you're here, I'd like to pray with you, pray for you. I'd like to give you a couple books, put them in your hand to help you uh, on your journey. Certainly not the end. This is really... The beginning. Anybody like that this morning? Maybe you hear you say, I'm not serving the Lord. And I need, uh, I need to get back in relationship with my father, with my daddy God. If that's you, you say, I need, I need prayer this morning. I'd like to pray for you. I pray with you. Anybody like that this morning? I ask you to raise your hand. Anybody like that? I know most all of you, but I want to make sure that, that we're all saved, that we're all born again today was more we're kind of passing out some ammo today but but believe it's good it's profitable for us to be people of growth keep our priorities right anybody before we pray this morning all right everybody stand up on your feet i'm gonna lead you in a confession of faith 
It's very important that we get the word of God in our mouth. It, it makes a difference. Let's pray together. Let's say this together. Everybody say, Father God, I believe, I confess, Jesus is Lord. He grew. So I purpose to be a person of growth. I'll grow in my knowledge of your word and your plan. I'll grow in my discipline, in my stature. I'll grow spiritually my relationship with you, my time with you. I'll grow socially with others. I'll be generous. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I thank you for causing us to grow as individuals, as a church. I can do all things. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. God.